You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. On a regular day in Meridian, Idaho, our next speaker received the inspiration from heaven to take her family on a 1,200-mile bike ride down the coast of California. This idea grew into reality, became a movie, and was the catalyst for her nonprofit foundation, Chair the Hope. I am Michelle Burke, and we have the blessing and privilege of hearing from Heather Ogden. Heather Ogden is an inspirational speaker and co-founder of the nonprofit Chair the Hope. This nonprofit organization is committed to bringing mobility to those in need around the world. Since 2018, they have distributed over 2,000 wheelchairs globally in various countries, Peru, Ghana, Costa Rica, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. Whether she is coordinating travel for wheelchair distribution groups, planning charity events, coordinating volunteers, or taking care of her own family, Heather does it with the hope of empowering others to do great things. She shares a powerful story of love and faith that will change her listener's life forever. She is known for giving resources and tips to help her friends and followers navigate through their daily lives. Heather hopes those who come into contact with her story will realize that she is an ordinary woman with struggles and challenges, but is capable of finding joy in the journey. Heather is quoted for saying, We are all capable of extraordinary things, and we only need to trust that we are enough, and we are worthy of living a full and amazing life. It's time to shine. Heather and Nathan are the parents of four children. Good morning. How are you guys? Good? All right, so I'm going to make this interactive because I actually like that. So hopefully it will translate okay on our podcast and Zoom. Um, but what I want you guys to first do is go back, like way, way back. Some it's going to be a lot further than others, but we are going back in time. Okay? So I want you to think back to when you were about six years old. And I'm going to point at a couple of you, and I want you to tell me what you were maybe playing with, what you're watching, what you're doing at that time. So, all right, you in the hat right here. What, were, what, what is a six-year-old, what's your first name? Uh, Sean. Sean, what's a six-year-old Sean look like? Love video games. Um, GameCube was my thing. Um, <laughs> I think, I'm trying to remember beyond that. <laughs> it's kind of sad. No, that's um, good. Yeah. Aubrey, how about you? Um, I think I were playing with Barbies at that age. I have two older sisters, so for sure. Barbies for sure. A lot of playing outside. Good. All right. How about you in the back? What's your name? Uh, Ethan. Ethan. What were you like at six? Weirdly enough, it was kind of like what she said. I had an older sister that also played with Barbies. Yeah, exactly. So then you play with Barbies, right? <laughs> yeah. And as you think back to that little six-year-old's like self, you have to think about what did you want to be when you grew up, right? You had a whole lifetime ahead of you and a story that you get to write. 
And I want you to think about that as we go through like our talk today is just what kind of a story are you writing? You are the author of your life story and every day you get to have a new page. You get to have a new chapter. You get to have a new way of doing it. Are you going to throw in a twist, a turn? Are you going to do a, something that completely upends your plot? And sometimes we get to choose those things and other times they choose us. And it's how we step up and how we decide to go forward with it is how our story's written. So to take you back to my story, um, my husband and I met back 24 years ago and we went to BYUI, formerly known as Ricks College, and um, we were in the same math class together. I got a little bit better grades than he did, but he had a car and I didn't have a car. So he would give me rides back to Boise so that I could visit my sister and he would visit his family. And at the time I always had boyfriends, like I had multiple boyfriends and he just thought, if I can just keep getting in with her and if I can just keep driving her places, maybe sometime she'll allow me to date her. So I had one date with him in between plethora of boyfriends, right? And he came back on one of our trips and I had a, another boyfriend at the time and he said, you are the only girl that I have gone out on one date with that I want to go on a second date with. What? Like, are you kidding? That's pretty good, guys. Take note. And so I was like, huh. He's like, you have a boyfriend. I'm asking you to go back to college, dump your boyfriend, and let's try and date. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, Nate Ogden, he is normally a pretty chill guy, but I was like, man, that takes a lot of courage to do that. So I went back. It took me about a week-ish to break up with my boyfriend, but we ended up going out after that. We dated, it was kind of long, but we dated one month. <laughs> we were engaged one month, and then we were married. And we have been on a roller coaster like you would not even believe. So as we get into marriage, he was a collegiate soccer player at the time. He was super sporty. He was kind of one of those guys that just totally strip annoyed you because anything he did, he did it super well. And he made you look like a clown because he did it so well. So we got into marriage. We had two kids, Senia, who's in the back over here. She's our firstborn. And then we had a son named Kyler. And Kyler just got home off his mission to Argentina two days ago. So I'm a little bit beaming because our whole family's back together. And since then, we've actually added another kid, Chuck, who married into the family. And so now we have seven of us in our house. So at the time though, we had two little ones, two and a half year old Senia and 11 month year old Kyler. And we decided to go to Bend, Oregon um, for the holidays. And Nate went skiing with my brother, Andrew, came off a jump then just right before lunchtime launched up about 25, 30 feet in the air, rotated backwards and came down on his neck, instantly paralyzed. And that changed everything in my story. That was not the ending of my story, right? My story had two of us walking side by side together and in an instant it changed. That night as I sat in my parents' house, because um, that's where we were for the holidays and I had my two little kids around me, I had a decision to make because all of this stuff was flooding into me and I just had a neurosurgeon tell me, your husband is a quadriplegic and will never walk again. I didn't know how we were gonna make money. I didn't know 
who's going to be a father to my kids. I didn't know if he'd survive through the night. I didn't know how any of this was going to work out. But I knew the only thing that I had as a surety in my life was Jesus Christ, the gospel. And I had to have faith that he knew of my plan. He knew of what story needed to be told from me. And I had to rely on that. So that next morning, I knew that we needed a mantra for our family. So I went and I got this red piece of paper and I wrote, we believe, across the top of it. I took it down to this hospital room and that followed him for the next three months as we went through ICU and normal hospital visits to um, rehab. Um, it, was, it was quite the crazy scenario for the first little bit. He came home and we started our new life with him in a wheelchair. He was a C7 quadriplegic. He had mobility in his upper body though, pretty good hand strength. He was starting to get some movement back in his legs. And probably after about nine months, he was back working as a manager at DHL here in Boise. And as he started working, he realized that he was gonna need a vehicle because I was tired of driving around. I mean, let's be honest, who wants to drive around anybody all day long? No, not me, I'm not a chauffeur. I have two kids, I have stuff I need to do too. So one of the first things he actually said while he was in the hospital is he was like, I may be quadriplegic, but do not put me in a minivan. I am not driving a minivan. So we figured out how to equip a truck. So he drives a big Ford F-150 truck. And um, he, like I said, went to work, started hunting again, started all the things that he enjoyed doing pre-neck break. So a year after he actually broke his neck the first time, he got pneumonia really bad and went unconscious. And we rushed him into the emergency room and while he was on an x-ray table, unconscious, he fell off and broke his neck again. What? Like, how does that happen? Right? How does that happen twice? And as Nate started getting a little bit more oxygen right before we went into his surgery, and I told him, I said, Nate, you broke your neck again, bud. We can do this. We can do this. I'm trying to muster up any strength that I don't have, but pretend, right? Because you fake it till you make it. And you just say, we can do this. And he just looked at me and he's like, bring it on. I was like, all right, if he can do this, I can do this. We can do this. He had a surgery. With that second injury though, he lost all of his triceps hand use, anything in his legs, and he became a C6 quadriplegic. And I know that doesn't sound like much, but when you only have like a quarter of the muscles in your body working, and to take away another portion of that, it's a big deal. That means transferring by yourself to not transferring by yourself. That means picking up chicken nuggets easily versus having to figure out how to do it in a new way. And it was definitely something that we had to get used to again, which we thought we were at the lowest of lows. And then shifting again, our story was being rewritten for us. Over the next while, we just started living. We started figuring out how to do it. Sometimes Nate would have some depression. Sometimes I would have some depression. Sometimes we all had a depression because it was just so hard. Like everything wasn't how we thought it would be, but we kept together as a unit. We kept fighting as a family. And I know during those moments, we were really having to figure out what our grit level was, how much we were able 
to dig deep, how much we were able to like really focus, what we were going to like try and figure out from this whole crazy thing. Cause who breaks our neck twice? Like that's just crazy. So we went to 2011. We went to the um, temple and just to give you a picture of what it's like to go to the temple with Nate, because he is a quadriplegic, you can't change in the dressing rooms, right? So Nate shows up in his full angelic look. He goes all white the whole time. If we go out to dinner, he is the angel at the table. Like he just, that's what he wears. And so we go to the temple. Afterwards, we're going to head to ice cream, went with some friends, um, and started heading home to Senia and Kyler. And on our way home, a drunk driver hits us and causes a brain trauma for me. I am like, Lord, let's talk. If there is a quota, we have got to be getting close. Like, why are all these big, big things happening to us? It's just too much sometimes. And I'm sure you guys feel like that in your lives, right? That you feel like sometimes you get to the point where it just keeps adding on and adding on, adding on. You're like, when do I ever get a catch a break, right? But it's kind of like reading that favorite book of yours. And you know it's about to get real good because they just went to the, the real crud, right? And so as they keep going, as we kept, see, I'm not even in my own story now, as we kept going through and having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and having faith that our Heavenly Father had a bigger plan for us, opportunities started coming before us. And I could tell one of my greatest gifts was I am able to hear him. I have a really keen sense of listening to the Spirit. And at first, there's no way I would stand in front of this big of a group and say, guess what I'm gifted with? I can listen and discern the Spirit. Like, that sounds a little prideful. And they always tell you to avoid pride, you know, in the church. But once I figured out that was actually a gift of mine, I've been able to use that to help others. And it's been such a blessing in our lives. So I was sick with kind of a sinus infection. And my husband knows because I'm kind of a big dreamer, big thinker type person that when I get sick, it's not a good thing because then my mind really gets going like, oh, what is she going to think up? And so I told my husband and my kids, hey, tonight at family night, I have a suggestion, I have an idea. And instantly my husband's like, oh, shoot, what's it going to be? And he's like, don't you think you should run it by me? I'm like, no, nope, we'll, we'll wait till the whole family's together. So this is back about four years ago. And I said, I think our family should ride bikes. Mind you, we're not cyclists. We had like three bikes. Nate had a hand cycle, right, in the garage. We had two other bikes. Both of them had flats. We didn't ride bikes. We're athletic, but we, didn't, we don't ride bikes. And I said, I think we should ride bikes 1,200 miles from Bend, Oregon, where you broke your neck on the ski hill, down to L.A., along the Oregon, California coast the entire way. That's ludicrous. Like, don't look at me like, oh, yeah, that's no problem. No, that's ludicrous, you guys. And within, like, a couple minutes, every single one of our kids, we now have two more, two more daughters, Melanie and Cortland and Nate, we're all like, we're in. And I'm like, they have joined the crazy train. Like, who does that too, right? Like, we now are seriously on the road to crazy town because everybody is jumping onto this idea. Like, we could actually do this. We have no idea what we're going to do. But the reason why we decided we could do it is because we had a purpose. And our purpose was to raise money 
for people who needed wheelchairs. We were not going to get a dime from it. We wanted people to have mobility because we understood what it was like to have a wheelchair. For Nate to have a cool truck to drive around, that gives him that independence and mobility that he wants and needs to survive as a person, a human being, a dad, being able to provide for our family. And it was important. So, from four months of that idea, we were on the road riding bikes. And we had no idea what we were doing, except for we had maps and we had gear and we had bikes and we just, we were gonna wing it and we were gonna make it work. And we had Nate pulling a camper trailer. We had a film crew that decided they wanna go along and it was one of Nate's ex, ex, no, not exes. He's still an old, whatever, companion of his from the mission, um, join and they brought cameras to like film this because this is kind of a crazy idea. The guy in a hand cycle and a family that the ages are 10 to 17 of kids and his wife are gonna make this big ride. We did that ride 1,200 miles in relay form. So like one to two riders were doing every you know, 20, 30 miles. And we probably averaged about 30 to 40 miles a day um, per person. And we did that in 12 days. Actually, 11 days, because it was the Sabbath, and you gotta take the Sabbath off, right? And I'm telling you, that day on the Sabbath, we may not have listened to those speakers very well, because we were dead tired in the pew. But we were there, because we know we needed extra blessings. We were halfway through the journey, and we needed those blessings. We finished that bike ride, and not maybe two months later, after raising $42,000 for wheelchairs, that's 280 wheelchairs. That was exactly what we wanted to do. The kids didn't have a Disneyland trip at the end of it. They didn't have anything promised to them. It was only for the purpose of giving to others. We got home and we are huge Boise State fans, big Boise State fans. And so we went to a Boise State football game and I can piggyback my husband. He's about a buck 55 and I put him on my back and I hiked down the stadium stairs. We get him in his chair, in a, a chair, um, watch the first half, and then his pain starts going up a little bit. So get him back on my back, piggyback him back upstairs. We get up top, his wheelchair had been stolen. And we're like, how does this happen? That we ride 1,200 miles, we get 280 wheelchairs for other people, and then his wheelchair is stolen. Like this is some kind of cruel joke that the universe is playing on us. And Nate, as I'm standing there, like holding him like, okay, now you're getting heavy. Buck 55 is something like 255. And I'm like, you're getting heavy, man. We found a chair, sat him on it, but he had no way to go anywhere. And he knew right then our purpose wasn't just to raise wheelchairs one time on that bike ride. He really understood what it was like to be sat in a room and not to be able to move again and it renewed our efforts to help get mobility for others. And we probably had to have that happen to really make it, you know, important to us. So we started a nonprofit called Cheer the Hope. And that is when we started seeing how big of a difference we could do or make by taking wheelchairs around. So in the last three years, we've had the nonprofit for three years now, We've been to five different countries, three continents, and we've given out 2,000 wheelchairs. And we already, next year, we have four trips planned, two to Mexico, 
um, one to Argentina, where my son just got back from, so that's awesome, and um, Peru. So it's another thousand wheelchairs that will go out next year that we already have planned. But if we can think back to the very beginning where I started this, I never would have wrote this story for myself. That was not in my plan. We had the soccer player, the cute basketball girl, I made myself cute, cute basketball girl who married, gonna have kids, be able to just have able bodies walking around, having fun, but it never was in my story to be now accompanying someone in a wheelchair and doing good throughout the world. But because we were able to listen to Heavenly Father and not fight his direction that he was trying to pull us into, great things have come to pass and they'll continue to come to pass. So as I look out on you, you know, the audience and I'm like, all right, what story are you guys writing? What pages are you fighting? Because you don't want to go down those routes. I'm asking you to have a little faith. I'm asking you to let go of control and let God be in control. Let him be the one to help you write your, ne your next chapters. Because right now, it seems like it's so important to you. This day to day, man, I bet you have a date this weekend and she's so hot. It may not be the big deal or it may be your eternal companion that you do great things with later. There's a lot of things that Heavenly Father will put in our path if we allow him. I heard the other day, Heavenly Father is always asking for people to show up, always asking for people to raise their hand and be chosen. And we keep raising our hands saying, we'll do it, Lord, we'll do it. And he keeps saying, okay, let's go. And you guys have that opportunity. I know it's scary to put your hands up. I know it's hard to say, I'll do it, I'll go, I'll be faithful. But as you do that, his blessings will pour out upon you and they will be far greater than the story you initially thought at six years old that you were going to be. You have the capabilities with his help to do and be so much more. And if you feel like there's moments that you failed, if you feel like there's moments that you haven't stepped up to where you should be, you start now. You get to rewrite any story from the moment you choose. Because choosing doesn't take a process, it's a now moment. So if you choose right now, it starts. When we got to Ghana this last um, excuse me, July, we got to Ghana and I'd been working on this project for eight months. We had 24 travelers with us to give out 280 wheelchairs. And I'd been working with a Rotarian group who were supposed to have 280 recipients for us that we were gonna be giving out these wheelchairs. And I had been working my tail off, especially during the pandemic. It was very hard to travel during the pandemic, but I knew these people needed mobility still. We got there, that group did not have one recipient ready for me. And I was like, what is the penalty for killing someone in Ghana? <laughs> I was about ready to rip some heads off because like we had been working on this project for eight months and I had had many other trips that we'd done that they always come through for me. So this is the first time plan A was not in effect at all. And I was just like, what do we got to do? We have to pivot. We have to trust that the reason why we are sent here is for a purpose. 
and we happen, no, not happen, God sent me a truck. We had a truck with us that they thought when the Americans came to Ghana, I think we'd come with our Gucci bags and like all this luggage. We all had like one carry-on, right? The other bags that we actually had were like toothbrushes, toothpaste, cars, bounty balls to give out to the kids, really. And so we had this huge truck that was just with us, like a small semi-truck. And I said, I want 20 of those wheelchairs loaded in this truck and we're gonna go find the ones. I'm in the middle of Ghana. I have no contacts. Who has contacts clear across the, you know, the world where we've never been before? And I started asking our tour guides and our bus drivers, anyone I could find, who do you know that needs wheelchairs? And they started contacting people. All the while, I have 24 passengers who have no idea this is going on. They're eating their lunch with the Rotarians. They're chit-chatting, having fun. And I'm just like, Lord, it is time to help me out. If I'm willing to be here in Ghana and to get my husband there, you guys, his pain level on a daily basis never like falls below a five, six level and is oftentimes nine, 10. He is a trooper. After a 10 hour flight, could you imagine what a pain level of a nine, 10 would be like? You would want to be crawling out of there. And yet he knows it's important that these people get into mobility. So as we started asking around, we had the most divinely led trip that we had ever experienced. God knew who needed those wheelchairs. And it was not anybody that would have been chosen or found by this group of Rotarians because we went to the remotest villages in the Ghana area where sometimes they may have never even seen a Caucasian person before until our trip. And to see 24 of us roll out of these buses or vans or whatever we were in at the time and bring a guy in a wheelchair too, to them, they knew God existed and we didn't even have to be missionaries that day. We didn't have to hand them a Book of Mormon. We didn't have to say anything. They knew God loved them. We met a young man. His name's Jacob Tutu. And it was one of the bus driver's friends that was in an accident five years ago. And in Ghana, their medical system just isn't up to par, right? I mean, they're a third world country. So he was in this uh, car accident, and from the for the last five years, he's laid on a cement floor waiting for help. Who's going to be coming to help him? Nobody's going to be coming to help him. What gives him that strength to continue on day after day thinking? At some point, he's going to be able to walk. At some point, he's going to be able to get off that floor. And then some crazy group from America happens to show up at his door bringing him a wheelchair. As we looked at his Bible that day though, it was the most marked up scriptures we have ever seen in our entire lives. I can tell you right now how we made it through those five years. His Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had his back. He had faith in him. That day, because he's so, so injured, he couldn't even sit in that wheelchair. 
because his body wouldn't fold correctly. But we left that wheelchair in that corner and we said, you know what, bud? This is now your goal. You have something to visualize and look at every single day. And I pledge that I will be back with money to get you that surgery. I put it out on social media, told his story. Within three days, we have the $5,000 we needed for his surgery. Daily now, I send him a quote or a text from somebody all over the world, giving him hope so that he has something to look forward to daily until he can get that surgery. Those are not accidents. Those are because we are willing to step up. We're willing to listen to the spirit. And we're willing to say, I will go do this, that Jacob Tutu's life is changed forever. He's had missionaries over his house. He's had bishops now over to his house. That is the coolest thing about this gospel. We are everywhere. You can't get rid of us. We are everywhere. But your connections and your people that will be by your side are all over. So if you find yourself in the middle of Missouri, if you find yourself in the middle of Kenya, wherever, go find a church. Find the gospel. It is there for you on your missions. If you haven't served a mission yet, they will come and help you. Those members are there for you. I just want to leave you my testimony. I know that as you continue to be the author of your story, things will come your way. Crappy challenges will come your way. Wonderful triumphs will come your way. But you get a choice of how you are going to react to each one of them. And I ask that even just for a minute, you show some bravery, you show some courage, and you show up and you say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Because in my story, having a husband in a wheelchair quadriplegic, it wasn't a part of my story until I finally let go and say, thy will be done. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.